This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. We uh, started a series uh, some weeks ago on uh, reigning in life. And we're using as a text scripture Romans chapter 5 and verse 17. Maybe we ought to back up to verse 12 and uh, read this in context. Paul, writing by the Holy Ghost, said, Wherefore, as by one man, talking about Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for all that have sinned, for all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that is to come. Now, you can readily see that he's not talking about physical death. Because in uh, uh, verse uh, 14, he's talking about a cessation or a change in death's reign when Moses came along. Well, physical death didn't change with Moses. Well, what changed? What changed was God instituted the law. He instituted the sacrifice so that man had an opportunity to free himself temporarily, one year at a time, from the rule of death, spiritual death. So the death he's talking about that entered into the world is not physical death. Certainly physical death was a byproduct of it, but he's talking about spiritual death. Adam didn't die for 930 years, uh, till 930 years after he sinned. It took, think about that. Think about the strength of the life of God that was in him when he was created. It took 930 years for physical death to overtake him. But spiritual death entered into the world through Adam's sin, through Adam's transgression. But with Moses, things changed. And it was a temporary change. It wasn't an eternal change. But it tells us the death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the same way that Adam sinned, who is the figure of him that is to come. In other words, he's introducing, Paul by the Holy Ghost is introducing God's two-man theory. Adam was the first man and his actions counted for all of mankind, but he was also a figure or a type of the second man to come whose actions would would uh, uh, control or whose actions would uh, impact all of mankind. That second man was Jesus. So Adam is a figure or a type of Jesus, the Bible is telling us. Verse 15, for not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, Adam, many be dead, much more. The grace of God and the gift of grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, has abounded unto many. And not as it was by one Adam that sinned, so is the gift, for the judgment was by one Adam to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. In other words, he's saying Jesus not only for the sin that Adam committed, but for all of the sins of mankind. Adam's sin covered one action. Jesus' sin covers Many actions under justification. Verse 17. For if by one man's, Adam's, offense, death reigned by one, much more they which receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Now, folks, without any dispute, if we took this verse out of context, if we read it in context, no matter what denominational background or religious background somebody's coming from without dispute if the words mean what they say 
then we have to conclude that God intends for man to reign in life. That tells us how. It tells us how man is supposed to reign in life by two things, the abundance of grace, which can most simply be defined, in my my opinion, can most simply be defined as the finished work of Jesus. Because everything Jesus did was as as a byproduct or a result of the grace of God. So instead of trying to pick apart grace and, and say, well, grace is this and grace is that, there's a thousand different definitions for grace, and, and very few of them seem to me to impact our thinking or our way of life. But if I look at it in, in terms of the finished work of Jesus, well, that impacts everything. It's all that Jesus paid for. It's all that he sacrificed for. It's all that he accomplished on our behalf. It's the finished work of Jesus. It says much more, he that receives or takes hold of the abundance of grace, the abundance of the finished work of Jesus and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Notice it does not say, we've said this before, but it bears repetition. It does not say Jesus will reign in you. It's not Jesus that's supposed to reign in the earth. It's you that's supposed to reign in the earth. Jesus is the source of the power, the strength to reign. He's the source of the righteousness. He's the source of the abundance of grace. And so therefore, he is the originator of our ability to reign, but it's you that's supposed to reign. It seems to me, and I I see this happening more and more the further we go, the idea of grace is being um, spoken of and turned in such a way that many times people are waiting for God to do all the work. We just live by grace and God's supposed to do all the work. Look at chapter 6. What does Paul conclude? He's telling us that we're supposed to reign. Now, he's writing to Christians. He's writing to people just like you and me, people that are saved and filled with the Spirit of God. He's writing to them to try to get something across to them that they must not have either have knowledge of or taking advantage of the knowledge that they have. And what does he say? First of all, he talks lifestyles. Chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He's saying, what should we do then? Because of the finished work of Jesus, can we, should we just live any way we want to live? No, that's not what God planned. Well, why? Because you can't rule over sin if you're living in it. That always goes over real, real well. Notice he says, God forbid, verse 2, God forbid, how shall we that are dead, literally that died, past tense, we that died to sin, live any longer therein? Notice the first thing he tells you about sin. As a believer, as somebody that's made Jesus the Lord of your life, you're dead to sin. You're dead to spiritual death. You're dead to sin nature. You're dead to sickness. You're dead to all the aspects that sin, Adam's original sin, transgression, opened the door to. You're dead to every bit of it. Now, you may not feel dead to every bit of it because some of it may be operating in your life. But it doesn't change the fact that through Jesus, you died to all of those things. Now, that's an important point. Because it's going to be the key to standing in the place that God intends for you to stand. Verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ. Not talking about water baptism. He's talking about being saved. Talking about being baptized into Christ. Spiritual birth. Rebirth. Spiritual life. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. In other words, there was an exchange. Salvation is all about exchange. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. 
Old things have passed away and all things have become new. You either are a new creature or you are not a new creature in Christ Jesus. Either being born again makes you righteous or it keeps you in spiritual death. One of the two. You can't have a mixture of those. This idea that, well, I'm saved, but I've still got the sin nature. No, you do not. The sin nature is the nature of the devil. You're telling me God is going to cohabit with the devil? Not a chance. You are either made righteous by the blood of Jesus or you're not. And it's some fairy tale that some people are expecting to happen when we get to heaven. Well, think about that. If righteousness only comes when we come, when we leave this earth and get to heaven, that means our righteousness is dependent on physical death that Satan is the author of. So righteousness, therefore, is not based in the blood of Jesus by that line of thinking. It's not based in the blood of Jesus. It's based on physical death that Satan is the originator of. Then we'll be made righteous. Well, how? How is death, how is physical death going to change you in any way whatsoever? Well, it'll do away with this body. Yeah? You mean the one you're supposed to rule and reign over? Folks, that's a cop-out. Well, how about when Jesus comes back for us and we receive our redeemed body? Great. So you're saying that your redemption is based on the rapture and not the blood of Jesus. See, we don't think in those terms. We don't think these things out when we have these thoughts and accept these religious thoughts. But that's what it would mean. Folks, if redemption is based in anything other than the blood of Jesus, then Jesus didn't pay the price necessary to pay. Do you hear what I'm saying? I didn't ask you or you get it. It takes a while to get it. I, I understand that. But are you at least hearing what I'm saying to have something to think on? Okay, let's go back to Romans 6. Verse 4. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism unto death. That means when you're baptized into Christ. Again, he's not talking about water baptism, although this is what water baptism is a type of. Going down into the water is a symbol of being uh, the, the old man dying with Jesus and then coming out as a symbol of the resurrection, not being raised from the dead through the rapture or raised after we die on the earth, but the new life we have now. But he's talking about spiritual birth. He's not talking about water baptism. He's talking about being baptized into Christ. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That just like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, that's the righteousness that we receive, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Why? Because you've got the same righteousness that he got. The righteousness he got was not his own. He gave that up. That's what he sacrificed. The righteousness he got was of God. When God said, the price is paid, be born again, live. I don't know how he said it. It's not important to me. But the Bible says he was justified and made alive in spirit. Just like you were. Same life because it was the same death. For if we've been planted together, planted means buried, in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Now, folks, don't let the word likeness throw you. He's talking about the same thing. He's saying just like you've got the same death as Jesus had, or Jesus had the same death as you had, you've got the same resurrection or the same newness of life that Jesus has. That's what he's saying. That's what likeness means. It means the same thing. Not something similar to the same thing. Verse 6, knowing this, here's the problem. Here's what people don't know. 
The reason Paul is writing this is so they'll know it. Knowing this, that our old man, now the old man was the sin nature, the nature of the devil that came upon us because of Adam's sin, that came upon all of mankind, that caused us to be spiritually dead. So the old man is literally spiritual death. For the old man is, literally was, crucified with him, that the body of of sin might be destroyed. The word destroyed means to put out of business. That the body of sin, the flesh, might be put out of business, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead literally hath died. He that hath died is freed from sin. How many of you has hath died? I know that's bad English, but you get the point. How many of you hath died? Then you're freed from sin. That is his point. Why don't we live free from sin? Because we don't know that. Even if we've heard it, we don't really know it. We don't accept it. We don't meditate on it. We don't let it become real in our lives. It's like, wait a minute, I am freed from sin. Again, that's sin singular. That means sin, sickness, poverty. It means everything. You're freed from sin. You're freed from the, from the, 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 the need, the, the, not the desire, but the need to obey sin because you don't have the devil's nature anymore. You're freed from sickness because it's a product of spiritual death. You're free from poverty because it's a product of spiritual death. Why? Because you have died. Oh, you're not going to be free. You were freed. Getting to heaven won't make you more free than you're not, than you are now. Going up in the rapture won't make you any more free than you are now. It may remove some of the desires that your body has, but that's not sin nature. That's just your body's experience with sin. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. The Bible says Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses on the cross. He was wounded, Isaiah 53, 5 says he was wounded for your transgressions, that's sins. He was bruised for your iniquities, that's sins. The chastisement of your peace was upon him, that's provision. That's the penalty or the... uh, Uh, the overcoming of the curse of poverty, and by his stripes you were healed. That's the overcoming of sickness. The Bible says in the same verse, the same verse that Jesus paid the price for your sins, he paid the price for your sickness. Now, if somebody was coming to get saved, we wouldn't expect them to pray all night to see if God would do it, would we? Why is it different with healing? Jesus paid the same price at the same time. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Verse 8, now if we be dead, literally died, this is past tense, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. Notice what he's saying. He's saying life, the life of God in us comes through faith. We believe that we also live with him. That means in order to take hold of the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, you've got to believe it's yours now. 
Now, what's believing all about? Believing is accepting the truth in your heart and saying it with your mouth. And that's the only way you're ever going to get there. You're going to have to start looking at yourself in the mirror and saying, I have dominion over sin, death, and sickness. And the first time you say it, it may come out as a whisper. And you may have to avert your eyes away from your own self. But the more you say it, and the more it becomes real on the inside of you, the more you can look in the devil's eyes and say, I have dominion over you. Now, the few people in the earth and the body of Christ over the history of, of the church that have taken hold of this, we've looked at them as, as supermen. Wow, look at the exploits they did. And it's the natural way that we're supposed to live. But it's become such a foreign idea, a foreign concept to so many people. That when somebody does step up and exercise dominion in their life over sin, sickness, and and disease, and poverty, then we look at them and say, wow, they must have something extra. No, they just took hold of what they have, what all of us have. We read of people laying hands on the sick and setting them free. We read of people that, that cast out devils. We read of people that bring people back from the dead. And we think, whoa, they've got something extra from God. No, they've got the gift of righteousness and they take hold of the abundance of of the finished work of Jesus. That's why Jesus told everybody to do the same works he did. He didn't say, now you special few. No, it's supposed to be a common thing. The church is supposed to be going through the world, seeing people in trouble and setting them free. Not stopping and having a meeting over it. Just setting people free on their normal course of daily activity. Why? Because we have died with Christ. We died with Christ and therefore we have dominion over sin, death and poverty. Sickness and poverty. You have to start saying what's true. And I'll prove it to you. He's going to say exactly the same thing here. Verse 9. Knowing. Here's something else you're supposed to know. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. There's not any more work to be done. Jesus died once, just like you did. There's no more dying to sin. That means there's no more sacrifice to be made for sin. Now, folks, this is where the majority of the religions of the world have started. The majority of the religions on the face of the earth that have ever existed on the face of the earth have come from a sin consciousness, a consciousness in the, on the part of mankind that we don't stand before God open and without guilt. And so what do we do? Mankind has devised all these systems of what you, what rules you have to keep and what actions you have to take so that you can be okay with God. And none of them work. And so what does mankind do? Mankind prays and agonizes in prayer. He goes to church. He fasts. He gives money. He deprives himself of pleasures, thinking that's going to make God happy. He does everything he can think to do. And even in some cases, people flog themselves. What are they doing? They're trying to get rid of the consciousness of guilt because of sin. And nothing works. And what do Christians do? Christians give their hearts to Jesus and never conquer the consciousness of guilt and sin. When it's been paid for all along. Now, what are they supposed to do? They do the same things. They go to church. They pay their tithes. They they do everything, good, good works, everything they think God would be happy with. And that never does it for them either. 
Because you can't work your way into doing the things of God or standing in, in uh, right standing with God. You can't work yourself there no matter what you do. Even doing the right thing won't put you in that place. There's only one thing that will put you in that place. And that is knowing that Jesus paid the price. Knowing that you died with him. That's it. That's taking hold of the abundance of grace. That's taking hold of the abundance of the finished work of Jesus. If you don't know that the work is finished, if you don't know that you died with Jesus, that you died his death, he died your death, you were made righteous with his righteousness, the same righteousness that he received from God, you received from God, you'll never overcome the consciousness of guilt. Never. And that's the one thing that keeps people's prayers from being answered. It's the one thing that keeps them out of fellowship with God. It's the one thing that keeps them from reigning in life. And there's only one way out of it, and that is to take hold of who you are as the righteousness of God in Christ. Knowing this, that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. He's not going back to hell for one more second. Now, he didn't go to hell for himself. He went to hell for you. That means there's nothing you can do that's going to send him back to hell for one more second. That means there's not one action that you can take or one sin that you can commit that will ever cause Jesus to have to pay one second more of a penalty. It's already paid. So it's not dependent on your actions. It's dependent on what Jesus did. Making sense? That's what he's saying. Knowing this, that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no dominion over him. Death hath no more dominion over him. Death did have dominion over him for a while, for those three days. He was caught in the clutches of death. He was just as helpless as you are without him. But then the price was paid. Claims of justice were satisfied. And the voice of heaven shook hell by the core. And Jesus was justified in spirit. He was made alive in spirit. He was the firstborn from the dead. Jesus was born again in the pit of hell. And then he took the keys of hell and death. What are we supposed to do with this? This is good information. You might leave here today and say, Whoa, Pastor Mike was wound up today, wasn't he? How does that help you? What difference is that going to make to your life? What are we supposed to do with this information? Notice verse 11. Likewise. Likewise. In other words, in the same way that Jesus is not dying anymore and death has no more dominion over him, in the same way, likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. Now, the word reckon is a very, very simple word. It's not a southern word. He's not saying reckon like we'd say I reckon back in the south. Reckon means this. It means to accept to be true that which is an established reality. Likewise, reckon yourselves to be dead too, to sin. Accept that you are dead to sin because it's a reality. Accept in the same way that Jesus is dead to sin because he was raised from the dead. 
He was raised from the pit of hell. He was raised from the place of the spiritually dead. He was raised from the spiritual death that held him in bondage for those three days, and he couldn't escape. But once the price was paid, the life of God came back upon him. The gift of righteousness was given to him, just like it's given to you and me. And death lost its power. In the same way, except to be true, because it is true, that you also are dead to sin. Sin, singular. Spiritual death and all of its works. Sickness, poverty, and and so forth. You're dead to those things just as much as Jesus is. Now, if you see yourself held by those things, you're not reckoning yourself to be dead to them. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, sickness is attacking my body. Well, I feel your pain. But that doesn't change what's true. If sickness is attacking our bodies, that does not mean we're not dead to sin or sickness. We are dead to sin and sickness because of what Jesus did. That means the same Spirit of God that dwells in us, which is the Holy Spirit, which is the Spirit of righteousness, quickens or makes alive our physical bodies just like it quickened Jesus in spirit and drives out sickness. Yeah, but I don't see it yet. Well, just keep watching. You will see it. You'll see it in you. You'll see it in me. If we reckon ourselves to be dead to sin. That's taking hold of the abundance of grace, the abundance of the finished work of Jesus. That's taking hold of the gift of righteousness that's been given to us. Now, you can ignore those things. You can ignore the gift of righteousness just like most of the church does and say, well, I just don't know. I guess I just never will overcome the sin nature. Okay, your choice. I'm not going to live there. I've been there. There is no future in that place. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves dead to sin, indeed, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what is that going to do? It'll keep, verse 12, sin from reigning in your mortal body. In other words, what you reckon, what you accept to be true, determines the degree that sin will affect you in this life. Notice verse 14. As a result of what Jesus did, it says, For sin shall not have dominion over you. Singular. He's not talking about sins. He's not talking about lying, cheating, and stealing. Now, those are byproduct of sin, singular. Spiritual death. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law. King James says the law. It's literally law. You're not under law, any kind of law, law of Moses or any other kind of law, but you're under grace. You're under the finished work of Jesus. What was the finished work of Jesus? He died to death. And as a result, the life of God, the gift of righteousness came back to him, and he no longer is subject to spiritual death or any of the byproducts thereof. Sickness, poverty, disease, sins, plural, or anything else. And that's what you're supposed to see yourself as. When we were born again by the precious blood of Jesus, we were born into eternal life. That means the power of sin and sickness and death was broken over our lives. God expects us to walk in that authority, walk in that dominion, so that we live free from sin, so that we live free from all the effects of spiritual death. Use that dominion in the name of Jesus. 
This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. So faith begins where the will of God is known. God's Word reveals His will to you. And once you know His will, there is nothing that can stop you from receiving what God has for you. That is the number one problem, the number one objection that everybody has, no matter what the area is, healing or whatever, that is the number one objection that people have. They don't know if it's God's will for them. Well, how are we going to find out? The answer is in the Word. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.